Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night cheer. I'll be a little late tonight, but better late than ever. Baruch Hashem, Shiramam is very long tonight, and Sikha that we learned. So Baruch Hashem, things took longer. Um, note to say. Um, yeah, this week's shir, as previously, is dedicated to Baruch Halevi Ben Yuda Olavashalom. As uh, as we are still in the Shleishim. And also to Emilia Bas Sara, who's also still in her station. Um, and on a higher, better note, Kala Ben Ayile Tayere Tashlichu, Kala Bas Tachayun. Anyone's birthdays and everything should have Arikha Sam Rishanim as we get very morbid by discussing always the yard sites and the Niftarim. All birthday people should have on these days, days coming, whatever it may be, should have a Shana Teva Arucha. Lang is the Feil Chiyarim, but this week's parsha talks about birth. Eilish Meis Ben Eisel, the birth of the Jewish nation. Shmeis, of course, refers to the name. Um, the birth of the Jewish nation. As in Shemais, and the beginning of the exile, beginning of the goals, goals, and saying thank you. The beginning of the exile of Mitzrayim, which is the beginning of all the Goliaths, is what we're going to discuss. A new king, Rashi, champion of the Ben Chamesh Mikra, says the new king references, of course, to one of two things. which makes, we've spoken in previous Shirim, makes no sense. Makes no sense to say because how is it possible a nation that just went through the rigorous miracle, the great phenomenal miracles 
that Mitzrayim, that Egypt had just experienced, how is it possible that they are not aware of the Savior, the person that saved their nation? They don't have history books. Everybody has a history book. Every country has a history book. Every nation. You're a nation. You're a big nation. You're a world nation. How do you not have a history book? The history book is definitely written that there was a savior of the nation. The nation was in bad straits. The nation had starvation. It was seven years of famine. But yet, there was this savior. There was this man that saved the Jews. Now, the truth will be told, we didn't discuss this ever before, the truth to be told here, it's a very interesting concept that we come across. The connection of Chumash Bereshis and Chumash Shemais is the last passage of Chumash Bereshis we said last week. This is by Yomas Yosef. Yosef passes away by the May of The reason for mentioning his name is because Yosef died in Mitzrayim. Now Yosef was given a name, an Egyptian name by Pari. After all, he said, <coughs> how can you rule over a nation with a Hebrew name? you got to have an Egyptian name. So he had given him an Egyptian name, he gave him the name Tzofnas Paneach. However, nowhere do we find Yosef ever using that name. I don't even know if Pari ever called him by the name again. Size at one time. I doubt he would turn around to it. <laughs> he knew his name was Yosef, and he lived the Yosef's life. So, by Yomos Yosef, in the history books of Egypt, it's very likely that it said, Tsofnas Paneach was the person that saved the nation. Tsofnas Paneach was the second in command. Tzofnas Paneach was the one that gave the advice and interpreted the dreams. So therefore, Melech Yosef. He didn't know Yosef. He knew of Tzofnas Paneach. This evil king immediately comes up with an issue. An issue with the Jews. Who else? What better scapegoat than the Jews? And he comes up. His stargazers tell him, the Jews are going to overtake us. Even if the Jews are loyal and faithful to you now, today, to date, it's not Agifrak. Yeah, they use the word Agifrak because they heard a lot from the Jews. They used to hear that word often. It's not Agifrakt that if we're attacked by enemies, the Jews should take the enemy's side. And when they do that, because they are multiplying at such a rate, when they do that, we're going to be in trouble. Therefore, says the king, 
Therefore, said the advisors, we need to oppress them. Pari had advisors, he had stargazers, very into the magic situation. The stargazers foresaw the downfall of the Savior of the Jews would be in the water. That's all they could see. That's all they could decipher. They could not figure out how the demise of this Savior would come about. And therefore, he decided to pass a decree. To pass a decree. How do I see to it that this leader has his demise in the water? Simple. The leader is definitely going to be a boy. Sorry for all the uh, feminists. Sorry for women of the Kosa, women of the wall, and all the other women that feel that they're equal rights. Paris stargazers saw that the salvation of the Jews would come through a man. So Pari came up with a solution, or, the, or his advisors, or whoever it was, and Pari ultimately puts it down, puts out the, the puts out the decree All boys born should be thrown into the river. If all the boys that are born are thrown into the river, and the water is the way of the form of demise of the salvation of this, the one that will save the Jewish nation. I'll nip it in the bud, says Pari. I'll throw him in the water to begin with, and that's it, it's over. Ironically, though, he doesn't finish that sentence like that. He doesn't just say, Kolaben, He goes a step further. The Cholabas Techayun. And every daughter that's born, give it life. Make sure it has life. Give it a proper life. Why finish the sentence? Leave it good enough alone. You want to make a decree? Make a decree. Why try to embellish it? Why try to put who knows what on it? Leave it. Major decree, you state you made your statement. Hush. No. Kolabas 
all the Jewish girls should be given, given life. To make it sound like I just need the male species to be eradicated, the females can stay and do whatever they want. But it's not stated that way. It was the royal decree being announced. What was the announcement of the royal decree? All boys should be thrown to the river and all girls should be given life. It didn't say the royal decree is all boys should be thrown to the river. But good news, the girls can live. No. No, my friends, he says, Chalabasta in the same breath, in the same sentence, in the same voice, under the same decree. Techayun, give them a life. Not v'choyo. Not they should just live. Give them a life. That same decree to throw the Jewish boys into the river, into the Nilus, into the Nile River, and have them drown Chalidah v'chas, Rachman and to kill them physically, their bodies should be killed dead. That same decree was against the Jewish girls, against any female born, techayun, make them life, give them life, the life of a good Egyptian daughter. And them, Achman you will kill their souls, not their bodies. You let the body live. But the soul will die. Come on, let's run. When he told the midwives, the Jewish midwives, he was nice to them and he said, Vachoyo. And they can live. And he figured he would appease them by saying, you know, I don't want to deliver a child, she'll say. I have to throw him in the river? So Pari says, no. There's a 50-50 chance it could be male, it could be female. They didn't have sonograms. So if it's a girl, you can let her live. Keep delivering, don't worry about it. And thereby making sure that they deliver the boys as well and follow through with the decree. But when he says it to the Egyptians, he says, Techayun. Give them life. What life did he want them to be imbued with, instilled with? The life of the Egyptian custom. And that's why both decrees are in the same breath and the same posik. And it's no less of a decree. If anything, it's worse. The fact that you want to kill the soul rather than only kill the body. For a spiritual death is worse than a physical. The time of the Tzemach Tzedek, the Tsar had come out with the 
kidnappings of little boys. And they were ultimately known as the Cantonists. And the Cantonists were forced to do everything. And they tried to get them to forget totally they were even Jewish. But they were a large group of them, and therefore many of them to try to stick together with whatever they could, whatever they could remember, whatever they could learn. But the decree was, although they were in the army or the navy, whatever part they were serving the Tsar, they can never arise in rank. If you're Jewish, you can't rise in rank. So that was one of the ways to officially convince them, shall we say, to join the religion. If you know that you're not going to get anywhere in rank, whoops, if you're not going to get anywhere in rank, and you are so devoted in the army, and so devoted in the Tsar's army, then perhaps you'll be it'll be something that's a little bit more of a come on item shall we say to bring you closer to give you a more of a inspiration to convert Atlanta you're in my ear you can talk I have no problem um so one such Cantonist his name was Aaron. He was in the Navy. Very proud to be a Marine. Very proud to serve. And one day they were having an inspection on the base from the Tsar himself. This is a tremendous thing. And these boys, although they despised him technically, but they knew that this is all they knew all these years since they're growing up. To an extent, they revered him a little bit. And Zara arrives on the base, and the music is playing, and everything is amazing. And the captain wants to show off the feats of his great, great, brave Marines. Cantonese Shimon was known as Shimon the Brave and his feat was he was able to dive off the top of the mast and so the music stops and the captain gets up and says Hazar I want to show you an amazing amazing feat points to Shimon and Shimon goes to the mast and he climbs all the way up and he gets to the top of the whole place 200 meters up the place is just mesmerized Shimon proudly bows his head to the Tsar and dives off the top into the water moments later surfaces back up and the place is just amazed the applause the, the joy the amazing
how sad was it when the czar as a reaction said I'd like to do this again tomorrow I'd like to bring very high ranking people to see this and the next day again the ceremony and again the man is standing there and he called Zar calls Shimon over says to him Simone Simoen Simone he was called Simon Boda I want to reward you your bravery and I hear such great things about you I want to reward you as captain I want to make you a captain Simon says to him very straight, My dear Zar, I'm honored, I'm flattered, but I can't. I can't because I'm Jewish. And the rule in the army is, Navy is, you can't rise in rank if you're Jewish. Zar was mortified. First of all, he's a Jew. But he's so fantastic and so amazing. I want you to convert. I want, I insist you become a captain. You convert immediately. Well, Shimon said, So be it, my master. And Shimon immediately grabbed his gear and ran to the mast. Scale the mast. And on top of the mask screams out, Tsar, Your Majesty, Your Highness, I am a Jewish child. I want you to know I never desecrated Shabbos, and I, ev- I never ever ate not kosher food. How much more terah I don't know, but these things I knew. And therefore he screamed out, Shema Yisrael, Shem Elekeinu Hashem Echod. And he dives off the top of the boat. He goes down under the water. And only two or three days later did they find his body. This was because the Tzemach said, Never allow them to kill your neshama. If they want to kill or destroy your body, you have to die for Yiddishkeit. You don't give up your Yiddishkeit for anything else. So this we find again. The decree of Pari. Kol the twofold decree, both on the boys, on the male, and on the females. Why? To the Nilus, we spoke in the beginning because they knew that the mice would come through water, but why through the Nilus especially? The Nilus was the source of Parnassa for Egypt. It didn't rain in Egypt. And in order to have any kind of agriculture, any kind of fields growing, 
the water that they had, the nilus would overflow and would water irrigate the fields. Therefore, the nilus to them represented parnasa, sustenance. They were sustained by the nilus, and they took it a level further and considered the nilus their god. And this is Hayaira Tashikuhu. Throw them into this river. Two things, twofold. Golos Mitzrayim, the exile of Egypt, physically, to kill the Jewish children, drown them. Golos Mitzrayim, spiritually, to throw them into the Avedezara, the pleasure of Egypt. To Rahman al-Islam kill their souls. Because the Yair, Yair Tashku, the Yair, the river, represented all that was evil, the pleasures of life, the pleasures of their existence. The exile of Golis Mitzrayim was the source of all other future exiles. So therefore we see and understand this decree that was put down in the land of Egypt, in the exile of Egypt. This same decree is in every given exile. Even in today's exile, which we find ourselves in today, in our generation. That is the decree of Habain Hayyilayd Today's Melech Mitzrayim, the ruler, the rulership, and the behavior of the land that says and and dictates that we have to throw our Jewish children into the river, into the customs, into the ways into society of today's world. They should dip in the river. They should dip and feel that it's all about the money. This is what it's all made up of. And there's nothing else that's worthwhile if you don't have money. And you should take the Jewish boys and they would cement them into the walls of Pisim and Ramses. This was their strength. Their main drive of this nation to put the Jewish children into the society, let them grow up in the society, be poisoned by society, be poisoned by all the wrong priorities they said let us outsmart them let us not let them go to their gods he wanted to know he wanted to leave 
no stone unturned, no Jewish mind untainted, but all the nation should appreciate and should thrive to worship the God of Egypt, the money. Therefore, we need to fight back. And the fighting back is educating the Jewish children. The bottom line is, when it comes to raising the child, we don't have to, and we may not, drown the child in the Nilus, in the Avedizara of the land. We're not allowed to dry, drown the children in the career-seeking life. The only education we need to give our children is the education of Tera, Tera Chaim. There's nothing to look at peer pressure. No reason to fold under peer pressure and to say this one's becoming... This one has to have a car, this one has to have a house, this one has to have a mansion. This one has to become a doctor, a lawyer, or even a shoe repairman. Even one that polishes shoes, shines shoes, but not a Jewish educated child. Not a boy that's going to go to yeshiva, a girl going to yeshiva, and therefore what do they know already, what craft do they have? All they know how to do is sit and to study, they don't even know which way to hold a brush. The Eibishter, the Almighty, is Zon Umefarnis Takel. He is the one that supports us all. If we do what He requests of us, the Vishinantom Levanecha, the Dibartabom, Vishiftchob Vesechob Alechtachob Aderech, teach your child, speak to them about Tera, when they're at home, when they're on the road, when they're going to bed, when they get up in the morning. then the child will do what's requested and required from them. We need to give the child a teacher that's going to learn, that's going to live with them and show them a true example what it's like to be a Torah Jew. And those same decrees that were in Egypt of yesteryear are in the Jewish nation today. Like we just said, the same way also, just as the decrees are the same, the redemption will be the same. As we know, as the days that you went out of Egypt and I showed you wonders, so too the ultimate redemption will be the same. The same way as the redemption from Egypt. The preparations of bringing the, the redemption need to be the same as those that took us out of Egypt. What were those preparations? It says on Mitzrayim and it's brought down if you're keeping score at home the Yemara in Saita Yeralef Hamid Beis. Even 
in the merit of the righteous women of that generation, the Jews left, our forefathers left Egypt. What did the women do? What did these righteous women do that were considered Noshim Zidkaniyos? They stood up a generation of Jews. They established their children. They saw to it, no matter what the decree that Pari was throwing at them, said, he has no right to give us any decree, he has no right to decree anything against God's will. God wants us to have children, to bring beautiful children into the world. This is God's will, and that is what we're going to do. We're not going to bend and fold under Him. And so today also, in America or anywhere else, we don't need to pay attention to what the society says. We need to live the Jewish life. Go a little bit into this week's Pasha. Moshe Rabbeinu knows from God that he's going to be covered, that everything will work out for him here. Wasn't there? Wasn't a direct response? Moshe's birth was as well. The truth of the matter, truth to be told. We know the Medish tells us, we says, it says in the Levi, the man from Levi stood up and he married this woman. And then they had the child named Moshe. Now what happened here was that this man was married before. And when the decree came about, he backed down. He backed out of the marriage. He said, Hey, I don't need my child to be killed, thrown into the water. So therefore, he divorced his wife. He divorced his wife, and... It's in the fridge. And his daughter Miriam came to him and said, you're doing worse than Pari. Pari decrees on the children that are born. You're not even allowing them to be born to begin with. And he saw, thank you, saw righteousness in her words. And he remarried his wife. He remarried his wife and Moshe was born. And Moshe was born to seven months. And therefore, as far as the Egyptian calendar was concerned, 
she wasn't due for another few months. So they were not looking. They were not looking for him. So Moshe was able to ra- be raised at home three months until he was put into the river. He could almost swim by then. Uh, I don't know about that. That might be exaggeration. He was still a baby, but he was a nod. He was a, a little bigger of a child than just the infant of eight days. Beisha was born already. He already had a bris. And when his mother puts him in the water, unlike, I guess, anybody else, they had made a special basket. Besides being a special basket, they stood to see what would happen. What would happen to this child? Now, the truth is, they didn't know that Pari's daughter was coming down to dip in the water to go into the mikveh to convert. It wasn't a public uh, announcement. It wasn't in the local newspapers. They sent him out into the water. They had no idea what would happen to him. So think back in retrospect, slightly masochistic. You're putting the child into the water, and you're going to stand there until what? And what did the child do? The child cried. The child cried, Nebuch. Of course the child cried. He's a baby. He needed to be fed. But they allowed that, and they stood there waiting for, I don't know, what they were waiting for. Miraculously, what happened with Batya, etc. It's a very good question, but ultimately, I don't know how many children were thrown into the water before, but ultimately, apparently, um, according to one part of the Medrash, it says that after Moshe was thrown into the water, the stargazers saw that it, it was done already. And the decree was lifted, according to opinions. So therefore, Moshe already started to save Jews from birth. The child grows up. The child, Moshe, is brought into Pari's house. How ironic. The very person trying to kill him, the very nuisance that's going to make the nuisance to Pari himself and have the Jews taken out of Egypt is raised in Pari's house. And apparently, he was quite impressive. So much so, that he had a statue already in the, in the house of Parai. Although they knew this was not a, an Egyptian child. So, 
Moshe goes out and he sees a horrific sight. He sees Rahman al an Egyptian beating and torturing a Jew. This didn't float his boat. Moshe was not a happy camper to see this. And Moshe goes and pronounces heavenly names and he not, not, after announcing the heavenly names the Egyptians get swallowed up in the ground the next day two Jews are arguing and one Jew raises his hand to hit the other. Moshe calls out to him and says, Rosha, wicked one, Lama Saka Reacha. Why are you hitting your fellow Jew? Now he had not hit him. He only raised his hand to him and Moshe Rabbeinu made reference to him as a Rosha, a wicked man. Which teaches us a very, very severe lesson. Just raising a hand, just hurting a fellow Jew, even without physically hurting them, you're considered a Rosha. And they turn around, the fellow that had raised his hand to his fellow Jew, turns around to Moshe and says to him, Oh really? (coughs) Will you kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Moshe heard this, and he was mortified. These two Jews will actually go and inform on him to Pari. The fact that Moshe killed this Egyptian. And at that point the Pasuk says, Vayira Moshe Vayemar. Moshe feared, he became frightened and said, It's known? Is it actually known? Rashi explains that he got frightened. Yeah, he got frightened. Then Rashi says, a step step further, although Rashi only explains Pshutei Shamikra, a simple explanation. Mashi brings down a medrash. That says that Mesha was frightened. Perhaps the Jewish nation is no longer worthy of being redeemed. Which the Medish explains, Mesha suspected 
not only his own personal issue, the entire Jewish nation was in jeopardy now. Because there is Loshan horror, slander. Loshan horror is being spoken, and for that, says Moshe, the Jewish nation will not merit to be redeemed, Rahman al Islam. Another Medish explains. <coughs> Here Mesha understood why the Jews were even exi- in, in exile to begin with. Mesha thought to himself and he said, What sin did the Jews commit worse than any other nation that landed them up where they are? When he heard these words, he said, Ah, this is Lashon Hara. People are talking Lashon Hara. How is it humanly possible for them to be redeemed? This brings up a great question. We know that the redemption of Mitzrayim, the, excuse me, the exile of Mitzrayim, the Jews were in pretty bad straits. They were in 49 levels of impurity. There was only 50 levels in total. They were at the 49th level of impurity. So that being said, Moshe should have said, I know why they can't get redeemed. They're a mess. 49 levels? But that's not what disturbed him. That's not what rocked his boat. They were serving Avedizara. He saw though, is it, at this rate we're saying in that case, that Moshe saw Lashon Hara worse than idol worship. And this itself is what brings the Jews into exile, says Moshe. What was actually the entire essence of this exile? That the essence, the beams of the Jewish nation, our forefathers... rendered us inheritance belief in God we were known as a nation a nation that knows God but yet spending enough time in Egypt under the rule and under the impression oppression of the Egyptians they became pretty much Egyptianized. They became, they were serving the idols, etc. And God came, chose His nation, the Jews, and crowned them with mitzvahs. So we see from here that before leaving Egypt, 
the level of the nations tied their work. This nation was a nation that knew God. However, this was all nullified in Egypt, in the exile of Egypt. Because the Israel, unfortunately, as we said, was serving idols. And although we say at that point still, the Almighty chooses them from a nation, not because they were anything special. This is a seicheldike, something from intellect that came from HaKadosh Baruch Himself, from the Almighty Himself. And therefore this fact that the Jews unfortunately were serving idols, this was not a hindrance for the Geula. But when Moshe Rabbeinu saw that they were talking Losh and Hara, which means that the Jews were not together, they were not one. This, what's called Pirud, Machlekis, this indifferences that people cannot put aside, this affects the essence of the Jewish nation. It makes us it destroys the concept of Am Echad, of one nation. And since this was the nation that God chose, by dividing this way, we lose that uniqueness. And also the, the merit to be redeemed. This actual lack of unity is what caused the hardship of the exile. It broke the haughtiness and broke the separation. When the Jews come back together though and they become a nation that's fit for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to look at and to call his Then they become the Am Oilam, the nation's world. The world's nation, excuse me. Until Gula Mitzvah Shleima, as we will have the Karib Mamish. Who says the Jews were serving idols, you're asking? Throughout Mitzrayim, of course they were. They were Mem Teshare Tumah. Had they stayed one more night, they would have fallen into the 50th Shar Tumah. That's why they had to leave by Chatzais. We had to leave before Chatzais. Because they were that, they were very deeply entrenched in everything, all the Egyptian culture. It was a pretty serious situation there. It wasn't, it wasn't as simple as it sounds. Yes, they kept certain mitzvahs. Their names they kept. We go through, we've gone through, if you listen to the archives, you'll hear how we explain the first Pasuk of Shemais, the exile and the redemption, is all in the first Pasuk.
there's a fellow who was very into nature. And he was a very kind person. And he, if there was an anthill, he'd walk around it. He wouldn't step on an ant. not an uncommon thing you have these wonderful naturalists that let every animal and creature breed in their home with no problem and he was just such a person and one day he's walking in the field (laughs) yeah He's what? Hippies. <laughs> Flower children. He's walking in the field and he sees a caterpillar. And the caterpillar, according to his nature books, turns into a butterfly. It wraps itself in a cocoon and eventually blossoms out of the cocoon as a beautiful butterfly. Excuse me. This man, mind you, as I said before, wouldn't hurt a fly. And every day he would come observe his butterfly. And he observed how it was spun and it made its cocoon around it. (coughs) Fascinated. I don't think he googled how long it takes for the caterpillar to turn into a butterfly. So I don't know if he was privy to the actual amount of time that it needed. But one day... He comes and sees the most beautiful thing in nature. The cocoon is shaking. It's shaking. Which means that the caterpillar is just about ready to be a butterfly. But it's shaking back and forth. It's moving. And the man, I guess he suffered from claustrophobia, He couldn't take it. Watching how this butterfly now that's inside here must be struggling to get out. It must be stuck. So in his ominous wisdom and kindness decided to perform a C-section. And he took his trusty little pocket knife sterilized it first, I'm sure. And he slid slightly open the cocoon so that the butterfly can spread its magnificent wings and get free. Because it's struggling inside. And the butterfly indeed, the wings came out and the butterfly left the cocoon. But it did not flutter. It did not fly, my friends. It lay there restless. It just lay there, not moving. 
that after a short while, a day, two, a week, whatever it was, the butterfly died. It never took flight. When that butterfly was quote-unquote struggling to get out, it was building its muscles, it was fortifying the wings, it was fortifying everything else that needed to be fortified. Oftentimes, by a pregnant woman, you'll feel the baby punching, kicking. Sometimes I've had to convince husbands not to force the wife to swallow a ball. He's worried that his son is getting bored, his child is getting bored inside. So he wanted to get his wife to swallow a ball or, or a spinet. What's it called? A spinet. If you get the baby, get the baby started early, and uh, the baby won't be so bored inside. It won't be punching and kicking. This punching, this kicking, and this fluttering of the butterfly mm-hmm. is development. Fidget spinner. Thank you. You better not produce one. Don't you dare. this toiling this fighting punching and trying to escape each oh man not one, two for the right hand, the left hand is the the supreme the supreme one and the upper one oh man Nah, not for me. I'm still trying to figure out how to get my yo-yo back up. I went down with the string and it hasn't come back up yet. It was 1962. <laughs> it still hasn't come back up. Um, I guess it's a sleeper. Oh, wait a minute, there's more than two. I'm hyperventilating here. This is a family event. There's male and female ones. <laughs> okay. So this... This toiling of the butterfly and of the baby inside the mother's womb is what the Jews are doing in the exile. Although we feel trapped, although we feel oppressed, although we feel the pain of the exile... This is God's way of fortifying us, of strengthening us so that we will appreciate the ultimate redemption, which will be this very Shabbos, before this very Shabbos, so that when we remain Vo'eda El Hashem, it will not be a past tense that the Almighty showed Himself to our forefathers, but it will be present with the Almighty will reveal himself to us and will be in Yerushalayim Yerach Shabbat Shalom to all.